0: You're listening to episode 168. Watch out! Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover the tools to build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim,
1: and I'm Christina M.
0: Well, today we're discussing a topic that many couples may be hesitant to talk about. In fact, some in some families they don't even use the word. Right. They call it the D We word. don't talk about divorce. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but that's what it is. A divorce. Um, we're going to talk about. The predictors of divorce.
1: Mm-hmm. Divorce, we know, is a difficult and emotional experience and not a quote-unquote fuzzy-feeling topic. Really, no one wants to think about the possibility of their marriage ending in separation or divorce. However, understanding the potential factors that may contribute to a marital breakdown can help you work to strengthen your marriage and, and avoid potential pitfalls.
0: So that's why on today's episode, we want to share with you the five factors that predict divorce. Now, it's important to note that these factors aren't necessarily causes of divorce, but rather predictors. Some couples may experience these challenges and still be able to work through them, while others unfortunately may not. The key though, is to be aware of the potential challenges and to be proactive in addressing them, which you're already there. I mean, you're already along and and going that direction because you're listening to this episode exactly. about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the key is to be aware and to be proactive in addressing them instead of just trying to avoid this topic in hopes that uh, they'll just somehow disappear.
1: Mm-hmm. So in other words, The first step toward improving or enhancing your marriage is to understand what happens when relationships fail, when they Mm -hmm. break down. Yeah. This has been well documented by extensive research into couples that were not able to save their marriages. Learning from their failures can prevent your relationship from making the same mistakes or rescue it if you were ready down the path of some of these potential pitfalls.
0: Yeah. So, in the seven principles for making marriage work, Dr. Gottman lists six things that predict divorce. Now, this ability to predict divorce is based in part by his analysis of 130 newlywed couples who are observed at the Love Lab apartment at the University of Washington.
1: Love Lab? <laughs> <laughs> love
0: Lab. Not the Love Shack, no. the Love Lab.
1: <laughs> So if you're not familiar with the Love Lab, it was a bed-and-breakfast type of experience where couples were observed during the daytime. There was no agenda. They were told to bring groceries and just hang out and do whatever they wanted. So some couples did paperwork, they read books and magazines, watched TV, made dinner together. They, they did the normal stuff of everyday life. And while this was a nice little getaway for each couple... There were a few differences from the usual bed and breakfast experience. There were actually two video cameras that were bolted on the wall that recorded their every move. There were also observers behind a one-way mirror that coded the couple's facial expressions. When they went into the bathroom... Wait,
0: wait, wait. There were video cameras in the bathroom too?
1: (laughs) No, thankfully not.
0: (laughs) You said every move. (laughs) Yeah,
1: every move I make. Yeah, Yeah. no. Uh, Instead of being recorded in the bathroom, they were actually asked to provide urine specimens to record their stress hormones And at the end of their stay, their blood was drawn to measure their immune system functioning.
0: Well, that's not as invasive.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I guess
0: the whole thing's a bit invasive. A little bit,
1: but other than this invasive stuff, it was your typical bed and breakfast experience. (laughs) Now, from these experiences, Dr. Gottman and his team found that patterns emerged among couples who later divorced. Mm. The Love Lab also provided the opportunity to see how happy couples interact and to compare the difference between them and the couples who later divorced. Mm -hmm. So during Gottman's research study, his team asked these couples to spend 15 minutes in the lab trying to resolve an ongoing disagreement they were having while they were being videotaped.
0: See, that's... That's so fascinating, right? Because it's not just life and the interactions, because there's so much to be learned there, but even just resolving an ongoing disagreement. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is actually a practice. um, If you have a therapist that uh, does the Gottman method Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in your first initial get together, the therapist actually asks you and your spouse to have this kind of discussion in front of them for 10 minutes. And people usually, the feedback I hear is, well, it's fake. Because they're going to be on their best behavior. They're fighting, quote, unquote, in front of you. But actually, a lot comes out because if they're, quote, unquote, on their best behavior and there's still issues of communication, their criticism, or they're putting each other down and they're supposedly being nice, uh, maybe nicer than they usually are behind closed doors, you can see how uh, things might start (laughs) to break down, right? Yeah. Yep,
0: that's true.
1: Exactly. So as these couples spoke... Sensors were actually attached to their bodies, which gauged their stress levels based on various measurements of their circulatory system, such as heart rate, breathing, etc. So here is what the team discovered.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about for the rest of the episode. We're going to talk about the five factors that predict divorce. So the first one is a harsh startup, a harsh startup. Now, when it comes to communication in a relationship, how you start the conversation can make all the difference. That's what we're talking about. Like, not how you start a car, but how you start up that conversation. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, many couples fall into this trap of using a harsh startup, as Dr. John Koppman calls it. A harsh startup is when one partner begins the conversation with criticism or blame. Causing the other person to become defensive and less likely to be open to finding a solution. I can't believe you didn't take the trash out, <laughs> right? Like, oh, oh, and you. and hello to <laughs> really welcome see. home, welcome <laughs> home. But I can't believe you did that, and I've been waiting all day to tell you this, right? Like, that's that's that criticism. That's a harsh yeah.
1: startup for sure. <laughs> exactly,
0: this type of startup. As you can imagine, sets a an incredibly positive tone for the entire conversation. Oh yeah, I felt
1: all the feels, like all the fuzzy <laughs> yeah, feelings. No,
0: the opposite, negative, and it can really escalate the conflict quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. So, why is a harsh startup so dangerous? Well, for starters, it can lead to a breakdown in trust and understanding between spouses. Completely. Like if you think that you're going to come home and or this is what you expect, you oh, come home and yeah. it's not a, hi, how are you? It's, uh, you didn't do this or you always do that or blah, blah, blah. I would be afraid to come home. Yep. Yeah, I would probably sit in my car just a little bit longer. Yes. Or find an excuse to stay out somewhere yeah. else.
0: Or play the rocky music before you get
1: going. <laughs> <really>. Look <laughs> in the mirror and be yeah. like, You are good. You are worthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So when one spouse is constantly on the defensive, it can be difficult to have a productive conversation and find a solution that works for both parties. You're Mm -hmm. just so involved in the fight, you can't even see any resolution. Mm -hmm. So additionally, harsh startups can lead to feelings of resentment and... Yes, you heard it, disconnection. Hmm. I think you can think of your own life and realize that there were times maybe you were experiencing a harsh startup or you were the one who had that harsh startup and the feeling of being on opposite sides. So a harsh startup makes it really difficult for couples to find a common ground and build a strong, lasting relationship.
0: Yeah, which is why it's the first factor in predicting divorce, Now one of the key problems with harsh startups is that they often come from a place of criticism or blame rather than a place of concern or understanding. Hmm. Just think about the difference, right? When one spouse is constantly criticizing or blaming the other, it can be difficult for the other spouse to see the conversation as as an opportunity to work together and find a solution, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, what do they see it as? An attack. An attack, not just in general, but on their character or on their actions, which really hurts.
1: Exactly. Now, another problem with harsh startups is that they can quickly escalate into an argument. When one spouse is on the defensive, they may respond with more defensiveness or anger or rage, which can further fuel the conflict. This can make it difficult for couples to find a solution and can cause even more tension and frustration. Yeah, you know what's really interesting? I saw this stat that really tells the whole picture. So the stat is that 96% of the time, you can actually predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of a couple's interaction. Wow. Exactly. So you think, that is yeah, in Dr. Gottman, as he was uh, observing yeah. these couples in 15 minutes, oh, yeah. you didn't well, even need 15 see, minutes. Yeah. You only yeah. needed the first three, right? Wow. Yeah. So if there are continual harsh startups, the relationship is going to erode over time.
0: Mm. So, harsh startups, the first factor that predicts divorce. The second one is the four horsemen. Now, certain kinds of negativity if allowed to run rampant, are so lethal to a relationship that Dr. Gottman calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, uh, but we want to walk through each of them again. Uh, Usually these four horsemen show up in a marriage in the following order. Criticism, which we talked about how, you know, that could be a part of that harsh startup. Mm -hmm. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness and then stonewalling so let's talk about criticism
1: well criticism the first point is it's different than complaining Mm. a complaint in the positive way that it's defined here is asking another person to change their behavior in some specific way yeah uh, we'll use an example from our marriage to illustrate the difference. Mm. So early on in our marriage, a big fighting point was something really, really dire. It was about Tupperware lids. Yeah. I mean, not, not
0: actually Tupperware because well, we couldn't we were afford poor. that. Exactly. No, it was but,
1: takeout lids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but we'll call them Tupperware lids just, yeah. you know, to sound like we're fancy. So Daniel would hand wash the Tupperware let them dry on the counter and then put the bottoms away. But he would never put the lids away. Like they would just be drying there for days. So in this example. they have so many
0: grooves and on the bottom and the top and they have different drying times. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We resolved the conflict. It's not. I think we did at least. (laughs) (laughs) No, we did. We did. just
1: fun to think about again. (laughs) Well, in this example, me complaining would be, Uh, The Tupperware lids take up a lot of room on our counter. Please put the Tupperware lids away when you put the other bottoms away.
0: Yeah. So tone, wording, right? That was complaining.
1: Mm -hmm. In contrast, an example of a criticism is, you're so lazy. Just put away the Tupperware lids. (laughs) Yeah. You see the difference? Big
0: difference. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Criticism is labeling someone and making it about their character rather than about the behavior you'd like them to change.
0: Wow. Can you say that again?
1: Criticism is labeling someone and making it about their character Hmm. rather than about the behavior you'd like them to change. Hmm. So other examples of criticism are, and it has these special words in them, you always always leave the Tupperware lids out. Do you? Not really, but let's just say it for a fact. You always or you never put the Tupperware lids away. Mm. So in effect, criticism is saying, you know what? The problem is you. You're defective. Ouch no wonder you want to become defensive right (laughs) yeah if someone's coming like the person who's supposed to love you and accept you the most is basically coming at you with a dagger or like hitting you with tupperware lids
0: yeah it's not fun no (laughs) yeah all right so that's the first horseman the second one is contempt out of the four horsemen contempt is the most dangerous the heart of contempt is essentially putting yourself on a pedestal and looking down on your spouse. It's an attitude where the spouse thinks of himself or herself as better than or superior to the other person in some way. I mean, they may think they're smarter, neater, cleaner, more punctual, more considerate, more thoughtful, and more helpful. It's it's basically saying, I'm okay, but you're not. <laughs> Dr. Gottman calls this the sulfuric acid of relationships. Ouch. Because it eats right through the relationship. It's the most detrimental of the four horsemen and is actually the highest predictor of divorce.
1: Right. Contempt includes any form of putting your spouse down. It might include name calling, swearing, belittling, demeaning, mocking, and even eye rolling. Mm, mm-hmm. It can take the form of sarcasm with a superficial edge of humor, like we're trying to be funny, but with a real sharp cutting edge to it. Mm. Now, when contempt is displayed, it's virtually impossible to engage in a constructive dialogue and it usually results in even more conflict. Oh,
0: completely and you know what it doesn't develop overnight either in a relationship exactly when one spouse feels unappreciated and unvalued guess what builds over time frustration Mm -hmm. and guess how your verbal interactions start to change (laughs) they start to change to be filled with more and more of this contempt it doesn't start this way But as relationship needs go unmet, it just starts to creep in.
1: Yeah, it's a sneaky one. But once it sets up shop in your home, it's a dangerous one. So watch out for that. Mm -hmm. Now, the third horseman is defensiveness.
0: Yeah, yeah. what is that?
1: Well, I think we're all familiar (laughs) with it because we've either given it or received it. Mm. But it's a way to protect yourself and ward off a perceived attack. A defensive response implies the problem isn't me it it's you there's yeah. a lot of pointing fingers in these ones hey not a yeah. lot of taking responsibility yeah. so there are two ways to be defensive the most common is to counterattack. often this includes a response such as oh yeah what about you we'll use an example from our life to be able to show the difference as well so for example a pet peeve i have is socks on the ground <laughs> Ugh. I'm not sure why everyone in my family decides to take off their one sock, just the one, and leave them in the middle of the living room or underneath the kitchen table. Like, gross. Why? Yeah. I don't understand. So, well, imagine I asked Daniel to pick up his sock and put it in the laundry hamper. A defensive response would be,
0: What about your mess in the bedroom?
1: (laughs) What? Oh, yeah. You want to play that game? Well, game on. Let me put on my boxing gloves. (laughs) Then what typically happens is that a defensive response is met with what? Another defensive response. Such as, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, you want to see a real mess. You think the bedroom's a mess. Well, (laughs) what about all your stuff piled in the garage that you said you'd clean up years ago? Yeah.
0: (laughs) One defensive counterattack after another. Eventually, just buries that original issue away.
1: Yeah, sometimes you even forget. Well, you, to-
0: yeah, you totally forget. Yeah,
1: what were we talking about? Socks? Yeah. Why are we fighting about socks? Why does yeah. that even matter? But yeah. you're so heated, you're so in the moment that, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to return from that. Yeah. Now, in our example, even if it's true that there is a bigger mess in the bedroom or the garage, the issue is about the socks. Gottman calls these people who can bounce back from this the masters of marriage because they are able to take responsibility for at least some part of the problem. Mm. In our example, if I were to ask Daniel to pick up his socks, he might say, sure. What? So easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you and you throw them in the hamper. Yeah, hammer. if you
0: didn't do it with contempt yeah right? and you just it was just a question yeah
1: right now does that mean that you ignore the bedroom mess no entirely no no you're not like not sweeping is, my yeah. issues under the rug and being like okay you know you become the doormat. no i
0: mean you do if if there is an issue if there is something gnawing at you then you have to find a time to talk about it right not no, not no is it just that to bury right it. Time? no probably not no. at that time completely then that sounds like defensiveness
1: exactly uh-huh. so we're not saying sweep all your issues under the rug or let one spouse become the bulldozer Now we're saying hey if if you bring up the issue about something that's bothering you the other spouse takes some responsibility for it and then another time if the bedroom mess or whatever is still is still bugging you then bring it up at that time and guess what the other spouse needs to take some responsibility yeah, too
0: yeah exactly the wait is over Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. A second way of being defensive is to whine or to play the role of the innocent victim. Hmm. You know, this may include statements like, Nothing I do is ever good enough for you. Or, I can't do anything right. You know what's happening when you say things like that? You're also actually avoiding taking responsibility. Wow. Now, if you're really good, uh, you can find a way to be whiny and counterattack all at the same time. Boom. Right. You got him. Uh, But you continue the cycle of conflict. Right. Right. And one issue may be factually correct. Right. Like there may actually be a bigger mess in the bedroom than socks lying on the ground. Mm -hmm. But relationally, man, disastrous. Yeah. Either form of defensiveness escalates conflict and moves the couple farther away from resolution and further away from each other.
1: Hmm. Interesting how that goes hand in hand. Hey, yeah. as you move further away from finding a solution and talking about it, you are moving your relationship further and further away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is stonewalling, right? Perhaps you've experienced stonewalling in your marriage already, or even in a heated argument with a family member or a coworker. Uh, You know it because eventually, as you're talking, the other person's tuning out. Uh, (laughs) They act as if they don't care about what you're saying. They're there physically, but not there. Right? They're there, but not there because they're disinterested and tuned out. It's like talking to a stonewall. And you know what's interesting about this, Christina? Mm -hmm. Studies show that 85% of the time, the stonewaller is the man.
1: Oh, interesting. So
0: fascinating because what they found was, okay, so the guy's turning away Mm -hmm. uh, because he's trying to avoid a fight. Uh, he's not really saying anything Mm -hmm. to his spouse because he just, he, he actually, he doesn't really want to, he doesn't want to escalate. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to increase the conflict. Okay. So when Gottman noticed all of this in the interactions, he asked the people that he was, that they're being, that were being videotaped and they were like, Hey, so you're not like Man, dear man, <laughs> Bobby, uh, like Bobby, you, yeah, you are like you are stonewalling your spouse right now. Mm. Uh, you are all of your body language is you're turning away, and it's like you don't care anymore. And but but your your heart rate is high, mm. so it almost looks like you don't care. So you're you're disconnecting. But why is your heart rate so high? Exactly. And what they found was that the individuals who were stonewalling, they were actually trying to calm down. Uh, It's not that they didn't care. They were actually not wanting to make the situation worse. They're trying to diffuse the situation. But because they didn't know um, how to communicate that, it just Mm. looked like, they were disengaged, that they mm-hmm. were cold, or that they didn't care.
1: Exactly. You know, I'm thinking of the few instances where we've experienced stonewalling in our own relationship. And uh, not saying that you do it all the time, Daniel, but uh, in one specific incident where that happened, you did look like you didn't care. Mm. And I I was afraid, oh. really, And like I was angry, but underneath that feeling was just being afraid. Like I was trying to connect with you, like, "Hey, let's work this out." Like, "Don't you care? Don't you want to talk about this? Why are you leaving?" (sighs) But it came out as, "What are you doing?
0: (laughs) Why are you talking to me?" And for me, I was like, I was broken, Uh broken inside, and just I was praying. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Like, anything I say isn't working. And I mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to make this worse. Right. And I just, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Right. But because... I don't know, maybe because my eyes are small or right? <laughs> I, I, right? I didn't have as, I'm not as expressive as you. It just kind of came across as... as you didn't care. I didn't care. Yeah. But I really did care. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so fascinating, that, right?
1: Very, very fascinating.
0: All right. So we just ran through the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which was the second factor that was a predictor of divorce. The third factor, three of five, is flooding. So, Christina, what is flooding?
1: Well, it's interesting because flooding and stonewalling can actually kind of go hand in hand, and I'll share why. So, flooding is when one spouse becomes overwhelmed by intense emotions during an argument or conflict, like Mm. we were talking about stonewalling, Mm. and is unable to think clearly or respond in a rational manner. This can lead to a breakdown in communication and can make it difficult for couples to find a solution to the problem at hand.
0: Hmm. So, okay, then why is it dangerous then?
1: Mm -hmm. So for one, it can lead to a lack of trust and understanding between the spouses. When one spouse is unable to think clearly or respond rationally during the argument, it can be difficult for the other spouse to feel heard or yeah. understood or even seen. Yeah. Like, if I'm so angry or I'm so hurt, why are you not engaging me? Why are you not comforting me?
0: Hmm.
1: Additionally, flooding can lead to feelings of frustration and resentment, making it harder for couples to find that common ground or come to an understanding of each other's perspectives or even just to stay curious. Hmm. Another problem with flooding is that it can quickly escalate into an argument. When one spouse is feeling overwhelmed, they may respond with defensiveness or anger, which, as we talked about already, that can really further add fuel to the fire of conflict. This can make it difficult for couples to find a solution and can cause even more tension and frustration. So, Daniel, like the example that we used in the stonewalling, it's, yeah, you were looking stone cold, but really, were you, did you feel flooded? Mm -hmm. Was your, yeah, was your heart racing? Were you kind of feeling maybe that fight, flight, or freeze? Oh, completely,
0: completely, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then because of all that's all going on, but you're not saying anything, you're not sharing how you feel, then I am freaking out. Yeah. So you see how this can be a recipe for disaster if Mm. you don't understand what's happening in the moment or why you or your spouse are reacting the way that they are. Yeah. So in our example, we we actually are both trying to connect with each other. Yeah, and
0: we we want resolution. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and so we were doing it, in ways we we didn't understand each other, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking two different languages. You were, quote unquote, checking out because you didn't want to say anything that you'd regret later. And I was chasing you (laughs) because I was afraid of the disconnection. So look at it in that lens of, hey, if we're flooded and we're stonewalling, is there somewhere else that we can, or some way else that we can find each other again?
0: Yeah, that's good. So the fourth factor that predicts divorce is failed repair attempts. Now, what do we mean by failed repair attempts? Well, it takes time for the four horsemen and flooding that comes in their wake to overrun a marriage. And yet, divorce can so often be predicted by listening to a single conversation. Mm. So how is that possible? Well, here's the answer. By analyzing any disagreement a couple has, you actually get a good sense of the pattern that they tend to follow. Hmm. Now, a crucial part of that pattern is whether their repair attempts succeed or fail. In fact, uh, you could even hit the pause button or if you're listening together with your spouse, ask and, and see if you can identify any patterns in the way that you try to repair conflict. And mm-hmm. repair disagreements. See if you can identify that yourself. Because there often is a pattern in the way that we do it.
1: Yeah. And maybe it's it's maybe a little bit too difficult or a little bit too uh, of a hot topic to yeah. be able to see it in your own relationship. Just pick any drama. Honestly. Pick <laughs> yeah, a drama. That's
0: good. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Where you um, and your spouse enjoy watching. For us, it's like a Korean drama. Mm. And look at... If a couple has a fight, look at those, try to see if you can find the four horsemen. Yeah. And also see if they, how do they repair? Yeah. Yeah. Or if they repair, right?
0: Now, repair attempts are efforts that the couple makes to de-escalate the tension during a discussion, right? Look for that. Uh, Failed repair attempts can be a predictor of divorce because they actually indicate a lack of effective communication and problem-solving skills within the relationship. In a healthy relationship, couples should be able to navigate conflicts and disagreements in a constructive and loving manner.
1: Exactly. When couples are unable to repair conflicts and find solutions to their problems, it can lead to feelings of dissatisfaction and disconnection. Mm. Over time, these unresolved conflicts and unaddressed issues can accumulate and create deeper rifts in the relationship. Just think about a snowball effect, right? It just, it doesn't, it rolls down the hill. It doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger. Mm. Failed repair attempts can also be a sign of negative patterns in the relationship, such as the four horsemen, like we talked about earlier. When couples are unable to repair their conflicts in a positive and healthy manner, it can lead to a negative cycle of conflict that can be hard to break. This can make it hard to reconnect emotionally with your spouse and, and it really makes it difficult to resolve future conflicts. Yeah.
0: Now, interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Gottman found that couples who have troubled marriages tend to use repair attempts more than marriages that are going smoothly.
1: Ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that so they they're t- really trying. Yeah,
0: they tend to use repair attempts more Right, more so than marriages that are going smoothly. The more though that repair attempts fail, um, that's kind of why they keep on trying. Mm. <laughs> so if they keep on trying, then why aren't things going better? Right? It's almost yeah. like you keep on swinging the bat. Like shouldn't you hit, hit? A home runs? Yeah, more often. Right? Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. Why aren't they working? Well, it's usually because the quality of the couple's underlying friendship. Not their romance, not how many dates they go on, Hmm. not fill in that blank, right?
1: Not how much sex they have.
0: Yeah. It's their friendship. The underlying friendship in these marriages are next to nothing. Hmm. It's like that person who keeps stepping on your foot, says sorry, and then keeps stepping on your foot sorry. Oh, and then they do it again and again and again. I mean, eventually, sorry doesn't really mean anything because they it seems like they're intentionally stepping on your foot. Right, right. <laughs> right. You need actions and words in a healthy marriage.
1: Completely. And working on your friendship is really something that will continue to help. Now, the last divorce predicting factor is, drumroll please bad memories actually. Mm. So it's really interesting. You know, we've been talking about uh, using the Gottman method in counseling and that there's this initial interview uh, that the therapist does with a couple and they ask them the question the therapist asks them is, uh, tell me the story of how you met, Mm. the history of the couple's relationship. Now, the reason why isn't just to get all the fuzzy feelings and be like, oh, that's cute. You know, you're cute. You're me cute, is it? Or cute me? Well, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs>
0: yeah, me cute. Me
1: cute. Yeah. Tell me you're me cute. <laughs> so you can tell a lot about how the couple is doing as they tell you about how they met and fell in love. In a happy, satisfying marriage, couples tend to look back on their early days with such sweetness and fondness. They remember how positive they felt early on, how excited they were to meet, and how much admiration they had for each other. When they talk about the tough times they've been through, it's not like happy couples never go through any hard stuff, but they tend to glorify the struggles they've been through, drawing strength from the adversity they weathered together. It's one of those like holding hands and being like, hey, babe, we made it. Mm. We did this. And if we can do it before, guess what? We can do it again. Yeah.
0: Now, contrast those reactions and stories to couples that are unhappy. Mm. When a relationship gets consumed by negativity, it's not only the couple's present and future life together that are at risk, but it's also their past. Huh. Couples who have a negative view of each other often rewrite their past for the worse. They begin to recall their love story through the lens of what was missing or how they hurt each other instead of the happy, sweet memories.
1: Or how you were late or how you didn't give me your jacket or yeah. how the rain ruined my hair, <laughs> like all of this stuff, huh? Exactly. It's mm-hmm. distorted,
0: right? They distort the past. They rewrite it, reframe it. and And this sort of perception creeps into all areas of the couple's life, really. For example, in a happy marriage… A loving gesture, like the husband buying flowers for his wife, would be seen as a sign that the spouse is loving and thoughtful. But in an unhappy marriage, the same action will lead the wife to think, Ugh, what does he want from me now?
1: Oh, fascinating.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, honestly, overall, when a marriage gets to the point where the couple has rewritten their history, Mm -hmm. the relationship is almost bound to fail without the right help.
1: I love how you said without the right help so that there is hope, Mm. but there's going to have to be some serious work that's done. Hey, that's right. Well, the truth of the matter is that the end of a marriage can be predicted long before the divorce papers are ever written up. Mm. Too often couples begin to seek help for their marriage after they've already hit a really rough patch. Many time statistics show that couples often reach out to counselors as the last straw their last hope for the relationship or after they've been in trouble for many years Mm. the warning signs are almost always there early on y'all and if those couples had known what to look for perhaps they would have reached out for help in a way earlier time yeah
0: now, the good news in all this bleakness... Yes, please, tell us right, the good news, tell us. We're talking about five factors. I mean, if you've made it this far, congratulations, <laughs> all right? Because it's like, oh, do I really want to listen to a podcast? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. No,
0: not how to get divorced, how not to get divorced.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
0: so the good news in all this bleakness is that it's not over until it's over. Yeah, Right. Exactly. And you know what? Honestly, the older you get, if you're like, I don't know anyone who's gotten divorced, you just... Just wait. <laughs> because, I think it's
1: probably virtually impossible. Yeah, right. That you would not know anyone who's been divorced. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: it just seems to be increasingly the case. And as you get older and as you've been married longer, the the friends that you've had, the couples that you used to do double dates with, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're just, there's just more and more of those stories, mm-hmm. right? Where it's over. But it's not over until it's actually over. Right. We are convinced that far more marriages can be saved than currently are. But it's about being aware of these predictors of divorce. Mm -hmm. But it's also investing into the trust, commitment, and friendship. The friendship of your marriage. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about how you handle your disagreements, but also how you engage with each other when you aren't fighting.
1: Exactly. It's the moment to moment times where you can really connect with your spouse. So podcast family, we want to remind you that if you and your spouse are struggling with any of these predictors of divorce, you're not alone. Mm. But that doesn't also mean that you sweep those factors away. You're Like, okay, now I know. Well, too bad. No, it's important to take that step and seek help. Yeah. Whether it's through counseling, therapy, or simply having an open and honest conversation with one another, taking steps to address the issues in your relationship can help to strengthen your bond and improve your chances of a healthy and long-lasting marriage. Yeah, Your marriage is worth fighting for. And y'all, we're here cheering you on.
0: Yeah. So you can go to inbetween.org slash episode 168 for all the show notes, for the link, you can actually text that link to a friend. If you are a friend who's considering divorce, mm-hmm. or they they you know you're here, they're hearing talks about separation, and nice. or they're in the middle of that, or, or maybe about to get there. Please send them this episode, In slash episode one sixty eight. Get together with coffee uh, for coffee with them after mm-hmm. you send it to them, and just be like, hey, I I listen to it, you listen to it. Let's just talk. Like, I just want to be a listening ear. What's going on? Exactly. Like, do you see any of this and pray that God would lead you in your conversation together with them? Uh, we pray that this episode and this whole podcast would really help you where you're at and those around you. So thank you for all of you who are actively sharing these episodes. We'll catch you next time.